0: testing one two three down a little more down 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 down, more down that's better right there a little higher right there are you a little higher right there that's no higher than that yeah okay hypnosis has become okay
1: okay and let's see
0: well we can when he gets here we can get the other one going Yeah, for sure, just, for sure. Lizarago? Lizaraga. Lizaraga. There you go. It says O on the end. Oh, look at that. It's an A?
2: It's an A, yeah.
0: I got this off the internet.
2: Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, that's not the one I sent you, is it? No, <laughs> but look this at this. Every single
0: it. one has an O. <laughs> See Richard, you want music to start, and then you're going to do your introduction, and then you want music again, or no? No. That's it. Just once. Oh, I'm so glad I asked. about Adventist Health and not our local hospital Hmm? and not our local hospital I don't think so About to go live here. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Doctor Richard Miller. The mission of Mind, Body, Health and Politics is to expand consciousness, stimulate thought, enhance mental and physical health, and encourage community. Welcome today, dear friends and neighbors. I'm pleased to say that today our guest on Mind, Body, Health and Politics is gonna be Fort Bragg Police Chief Fabian Lizaraga. This is gonna be an opportunity for our community to listen to what the chief has to say. He's been with us for about a year. What he has to say about policing in our local city. It's also an opportunity for those of you who have questions. You can call in and directly ask the police chief questions you may have about the community, about policing, and any other questions you have. This is a great opportunity. So listen in, stay tuned for police chief Fabian Lizarraga will be with you in a couple of minutes, but first, news and notes in psychology and medicine. The science of happiness, what we're learning about the factors that influence, influence it and those that don't. The pursuit of happiness is an inalienable right according to the Declaration of Independence and researchers have long associated happiness with good health and wealth. Is that really true? The study of happiness is a growing field in psychology and health, and the research sometimes come up with conflicting results. Yeah, in 2011, researchers found that subjective well-being, a sense of satisfaction with life and having positive emotions, predicted better health and greater longevity in populations from all around the world. But more recently, in 2015, a British study about uh, researchers who tracked over 700,000 women in the United Kingdom concluded that the reverse is true. Their surveys found that having better health in the first place makes people feel happiness. Well, whether it's happiness that influences health or the other way around, it's clear that good emotional states and good health tend to go together. Here are some of the recent findings on which factors have the greatest bearings on happiness and how much of your well-being is within your control. The biggies folks are the people you spend time with. They influence your happiness and your health. The activities you do. The activities you do influence your happiness and your health and how you see the world each day. Is attitude everything? Well, it may not be everything, but attitude is a lot of everything. So, let's review. The people you spend time with, they're gonna influence your happiness and health. The activities you do. Do you sit around? Do you watch TV all day? Do you get out and do a little kayaking? Do you do some biking? Do you walk with friends? Do you chat with friends? Social life? These are things that influence how you see the world. They influence your health, and they influence your happiness. Now, some of you might say, oh, yeah, but what about money? Isn't money what really causes happiness? And the answer is that there's a great deal of research, including research by a Nobel laureate psychologist, colleague of mine, Daniel Kahneman, who shows that, yes, money does increase happiness, it does, up until a family earns about $75,000 a year combined income. So that means if, the, if there are two people, a husband and a wife, or two people, I shouldn't say necessarily husband and wife nowadays, it could be two men or two women, if their combined income is 75000 roughly, $38,000 a year each then after that emotional well-being does not increase with additional income what they're saying here is if the combined income is 30 or 40,000 or 50 or 60 which is pretty low that means making $25 or $30,000 each per year then there's a happiness risk but once you hit seventy five thousand from there on it's not about money it's about who you hang out with what kind of activities you do and how you maintain your attitude these are important factors a lot of this you already know but it's nice to hear it that it science actually backs it up but what else does science back up with regard to the condition of our lives well It turns out that being out of shape could be more harmful to health and longevity than most people expect, according to a new, very long-term study of middle-aged men. This study finds that poor physical fitness, again, poor physical fitness, may be second only to smoking as a risk factor for premature death. Now, it's not news that aerobic capacity can influence lifespan. Many past studies have found that people with low physical fitness tend to be at high risk of premature death. On the other side, people with robust capacity, fitness, are likely to have long lives. But most of these studies followed people for about 10 to 20 years, which is a lengthy period of time for science, but nowhere near most of our lives. Now we've got a new study, and this one is really something. (laughs) They called it the study of men born in 1913, and here's what happened. In 1963, when these men, born in 1913, were 50 years old, a thousand of them, yeah, a thousand men volunteered in a study to allow themselves to be studied for the rest of their lives in order to help scientists better understand lifetime risks for disease. And let's say kudos to those thousand men who are willing to do that because that means people are bumping into your life for the rest of your life and asking a lot of nosy questions about how you live and what you're doing. Well, here's what they found out from these thousand men. They found out that poor fitness turned out to be unhealthier even than high blood pressure or poor cholesterol. Yes, Healthy fit men, healthy fit men with elevated blood pressure or relatively unhealthy cholesterol still live longer than out-of-shape men with good blood pressure and good cholesterol levels. Yep. Poor fitness shortens lifespans. That's what the data, and this, you know, a thousand men studied for their entire lifetimes tells us a lot. So what about the fitness? Where do we get fitness? Well, here's another study that just says one hour of physical activity a day, and by the way, let's talk about what physical activity is. It could be something as, as easy as a walk or a bicycle ride. can undo the increased risk of early death which comes from sitting around eight hours or more on a daily basis. And many of us do sit around. I sit around that much. My job is sitting in an office, seeing patients. I can be sitting around for six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours a day. Not healthy. Not healthy. Needs to be some way to get up, do something. And the researchers are saying that if you even get up for five minutes during those hours, so you know, 55 minutes before the next person you see or your next appointment, if you get up for five minutes each of those eight hours and walk around the room, at the end of the day you've walked 40 minutes, eight times five, that's going to change your health significantly. The increased risk of early death ranged from 12 to 59 percent, depending on how much exercise the subjects in this study got sit less move more and the more you move the better is what the scientists are saying and if you can't sit less because your job calls for sitting we're having uh, uh, a chief Lizaraga on today his patrolmen sit around in cars a lot we can talk about that what can they do when they're sitting around six seven i'll find out if they sit around six seven eight hours a day in their automobiles If they get out of the car and walk for five minutes each hour they've walked for 40 minutes at the end of the day so the bottom line of both of these studies is movement is important for health and it doesn't mean you have to get out there and jog it doesn't mean you have to become a professional athlete but what all the research is saying is we need to keep moving some kind of activity and some kind of activity on a regular basis and it can be as little as five minutes an hour because as you saw five minutes at the end of the day eight hours ends up with 40 minutes of activity and that counts a lot. Well now on to our interview with Fort Bragg Police Chief Fabian Lizaraga. He came to us last year from Los Angeles Before that, he was down in L.A. for 37 years as a police officer who rose to the rank of captain with the Los Angeles Police Department. He worked on various assignments. He had a lot of experience, but I'm not going to say a lot more about that. I'm going to let him speak for himself. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. Thank you. Good morning. Good to have you here. Thank you. Good to be here. So you've been here for about a year now.
2: Yeah, a little bit over a year. We were just talking, and uh, it's incredulous how quickly and how fast the time seems to have gone by. I it, it, uh, got here at the end of April of last year, so it's been a little bit over a year now.
0: I was just saying to our engineer, my friend Mike Delore here, that seemed like just yesterday we were talking about welcoming you to the community, and it's been a year. You came from a very big city with a lot going on. You're now here in a very small city. Is it keeping you busy?
2: Yes it is um, it's a smaller town obviously a smaller department um, the tasks uh, the day-to-day ones are different um, but it's still enough to, to keep us busy and uh, you know try and keep the community safe and take care of some quality of life issues that uh, that we see or are made aware of and um, so it, it keeps us all uh, busy for the for all of uh, all of our shifts and stuff and
0: going way back, I'm going to shift the focus of this because we're talking a little bit right away about your coming right here to town, which I, of course we'll come to and I'm interested in, but I want to go back in time a bit and learn more about you as a person. What got you into police work to begin with? I know it's a long time ago. We're asking <laughs> you to go way back in time, but do you remember?
2: I, I- do, and uh, you know, it's um, a question that uh, we get asked a lot. And- uh, we think really think about it a lot because uh, sometimes we use it to to kind of ground ourselves. Um, I, I think going back growing up uh, in in Los Angeles, one of the things that uh, really you know molded me or or kind of steered me towards this profession uh, was really having a sense of wanting to do something, wanting to do something to impact the community, uh, help the community, or uh, just do something in a field that would make me feel good about myself. Um, at that time, uh, you know, believe it or not, uh, a lot of us grew up with, you know, one out of 12 and Dragnet uh, on TV. And uh, you grew up as a kid and and, and you kind of look at that and you see how uh, they went about their business and how many people they helped, even though it was just a TV show. Uh, you just kind of say, yeah, that's that's something I want to do. That's, that's kind of what I, uh, you know, I would like to do. And so from pretty much high school on, uh, everything uh, started to get geared towards, uh, you know, coming into this profession. Um,
0: So you already knew in high school that that's where you were headed.
2: Yeah, uh, I already knew. Uh, I had uh, kind of two different paths. One was to join the military uh, and then afterward come out and and be a police officer. Uh, And the other one was, um, and that was going to be like right out of high school uh fortunately as uh many young men do back then uh i had a high school girlfriend who kind of said well why don't you go to college first and then you know and i started looking at that and i said oh okay well if i go to college i can be uh you know an officer in the in the military after i get out and go through their school mm-hmm. and then going through college i started getting um involved in criminal justice courses and uh, you know police science type courses and it really intrigued me and that kind of lit the fire and So right after, um, before I graduated college, I started putting in applications and things like that. And uh, uh, fortunately enough, the uh, LAPD, which was my uh, primary and really only choice Uh at that time, uh, uh, you know, was hiring. And um, I was fortunate enough to, to get hired on.
0: And what was your first job?
2: first job uh well we all come out and uh we're all patrol officers um uh and we're termed to be you know rookies or on probation for at that time it was uh, a year after graduation from the academy uh so you were on probation for a year and that's where you you know kind of uh, either make probation or you don't uh they, they your probation out your training officers kind of you know mold you teach you develop you uh, into being able to work uh, on your own and uh... you either learn or if you have too many difficulties learning or it's not for you or you run into situations uh... you know that you see things that you don't want to deal with for the rest of your career uh... the decisions are made you know either yeah i don't want to do this or you're not cut out to do this
0: so just to back up a bit after you graduated and studied criminal justice in college, applied for to the LAPD, was accepted, then you went to the academy? Is that how it...
2: Uh, yeah, we, you get sent to the, uh, to the police academy, and at that time for L.A., it was um, six months uh, of training, physical training, uh, self-defense, firearms, and uh, academic as far as learning the laws, uh, California State Penal Code, uh, as well as the policies of the department, you know, report writing. Um, you know, we got sent into different uh, uh, scenarios of, you know, how would you handle this situation where there was a family dispute, a robbery in progress. Um, the police academy down there, and I think most police academies have like a, um, like a situation simulation village type thing where, you know, you, there's storefronts and things like that that you can go to and um, you kind of walk your way through of how to handle different radio calls or different situations.
0: And going to the police academy, is that a, a residential where you all live together or do you go home at night after you're in school all
2: day? No, in, in LA, and, uh, at that time and still, you, you go home at the end of the day. Uh, you, know, you, you get up there at you know, either five or six in the morning and uh, you, you left at you know, three or four in the afternoon and then you went home and did homework. <laughs> and you, <laughs> you had know, plenty to do? Plenty to do, uh, studying, uh, reading up. Um, at that time, they were big into uh, once we were finally issued our police gear, our utility belt, and all that, we had to keep that shined up uh, to a spit shine, uh, what they called a mirror kind of thing where you could see yourself. And uh, so that was kind of took it up. And then by then, Yeah, yeah, at least for me, I was tired. I was, (laughs) I needed to go to sleep. Uh Uh, So there wasn't much of a, uh, you know, social life or anything like that. It was, uh, you know, get up, go to academy, come home, do what you needed to do for the next day, and then uh, try and get some sleep.
0: And that was for six solid months. Yes. By the way, uh, I, I'm sitting here uh, with the chief, and uh, I can attest to the fact that everything he's wearing is looking very crisp and shiny. And so that early training <laughs> has stuck with you. <laughs> it, it
2: does. I, I, I've always taken pride in uh, in wearing the uniform, uh, and uh, uh, even in situations where uh, you know you don't necessarily have to wear the uniform, uh, you know more often than not, uh, you will usually find me in. Uh, uh wearing it and stuff and and you know it it there's a certain uh military bearing bearing to it as far as you know uh, wanting to look good represent um you know uh, i'm not a, a i don't think i'm a, a poster child for a recruitment poster for the pd uh, uh, I was listening to you very intently about, uh, you know, getting into physical shape uh, in your comments and stuff because I definitely need to do that. So, uh, you know, to look even better and to feel even better. so. Well,
0: Fort Bragg is a, is a wonderful place to do that because there's so many uh, physical activities available to us so easily. It is. Uh, when I mentioned uh, on the air before uh, you know going kayaking or going bicycle riding, you know many of us around here can go bicycle riding right out of our homes. I mean, to literally just right, go right out the door and start riding a bike.
2: yeah, absolutely. and the the ocean and our our trail is uh, not very far away, either walking or biking. and you know, just take full advantage of that. So uh, definitely want to keep doing that and, and 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 keep it going.
0: Yeah, that's something I want to come back to later on in the program with regard to community involvement and in fit and fitness. But now, let's go going back in your career. So you uh, go to college. You then went to the police academy, and then your first job. And what was it? And where'd you go?
2: Uh, my first job was I was assigned to uh, Los Angeles. Divided into um, at that time it was 18. Uh, different stations or divisions and and each station is uh, has its own geographical boundaries uh, and you can liken them to basically just 18 different police departments that cover the whole city uh, of Los Angeles and so I was assigned to uh, one of those uh, stations it was uh, uh, called Wilshire Division still is and fortunately for me uh, it was the division that I grew up in <laughs> I mean went to school there, I lived there, uh, and uh, so one of the things for a, a rookie in a big city uh, is that they constantly test you at, is your locations and, you know, getting to know the streets, getting to know the addresses and uh, street names and things like that. Uh, so that one was kind of taken off my show because I knew where we were patrolling because I, you know, run those streets as a kid and went to school there, so I didn't really have to worry about knowing where I was. I pretty much knew uh, uh, where we were patrolling, so I just could concentrate on on some other aspects of, uh, you know, report writing, tactical situations, those kinds of things. So that was my first division of assignment uh, there at Working Patrol, learning how to respond to radio calls, calls for service, and uh, learning how to handle them.
0: You know, either that was a lucky accident or somebody really knew what they were doing way in advance because what we're hearing on the national press now is the importance of police officers being assigned to areas that they know, which is exactly, you've heard that, yeah. because that makes for more human contact. It makes means that they, have, they know the area and that means they know people in the area who can support them and help them. Exactly. And you fell right into that.
2: It fell right into that uh, by happenstance um you know I, I i don't know that there was a whole lot of thought given to it because uh uh you know i was just uh, probably just a name on uh on a list of people that needed to be assigned and at that time worship division had some openings and they needed to uh to plug them in but uh it certainly made it easier you know uh, you know you know some of the people uh in the in the community especially you know some of the storefronts that you visited uh, for a long time or Uh, you know, schools and things like that, you knew the teachers and and those kinds of things, as well as some of the neighbors. Um, So you had
0: people to say hello to sometimes (laughs) when you walked around, you weren't totally alone. Correct. Now, when you went out that first day, do you go out alone or do you go out with a partner?
2: No, you go out with a partner. Uh, At that time, your whole probationary period, uh, except for the last uh, month or two uh, of that year, you're working with somebody. You're working with a training officer. Uh, and you're working with different training officers so that um, everybody has different styles uh, so that they will teach you you know how they approach things and then from each of them you kind of gather how you are going to be in how you approach situations uh, how you approach people uh, and you kind of mold them into your own personality and and your own philosophy and stuff Uh, so you kind of learn from everybody but for the first year or so the first ten months or so of that uh you're working with somebody
0: and it's a much more experienced person, so you're not naked out there nervous of me what am I going to do? you've got an older person an experienced person to help you along and teach you along
2: correct at that time there was um you probably had to have uh you know at least minimum of five years experience as a police officer before you could become a training officer um, you know over the years that has um kind of melted away a little bit uh, because we're you know police departments across the country are becoming younger and younger so uh, a lot of times um, you know we have training officers that will have you know less than five years or four or three years and things like that Uh, but yeah you try to get somebody who's experienced mature and is a, a capable of teaching and coaching somebody to uh, to develop them during their probationary time.
0: Okay, so you're out there for up to 10 months, is it, with the trainer? Yes. Covering you and helping you and teaching you. And then that period ends, and you're a guy who made it. So then what was your next step?
2: Uh, The next one after that, uh, I went into um, the police department at that time had an undercover unit. Uh, uh looking at um uh, organizations or groups causing public disorder uh so I was recruited into that uh, and now
0: you're what 23, four, five years I'm old? How old are you? 22.
2: 22? Uh, yeah. Out of
0: college, 10, the yeah. academy for six months, then 10 months of training, yeah. you're about 22, 23 years yeah. old.
2: I went into the academy when I was 21 in uh, one month uh-huh. Uh and uh, so yeah, I came on very young and uh, but you know, very ready to go.
0: Right. But you're a 22 year old guy and you get assigned to do undercover work. Yes. Sca- and, and, scary? Nervous?
2: I don't know if it was scary. Um, you know, it was different for me. Uh, It sounds, you know, yeah. to a regular person, yeah, you know, wow, was, undercover work. Was, that means
0: you're, you're sort of incognito.
2: Yeah, it was very different. Uh, you know, for me at that time, I was still, uh, I think, kind of growing up and, uh, you know, finding myself. So my personality tended to be more of an introvert. Uh, and then being put into this role uh i kind of had to come out of myself a little bit and um uh, you know really uh be somebody really come out of my comfort zone as far as being a little bit more loud being a little bit more boisterous uh than you know i would normally be so it kind of helped develop me from i think from that aspect as well to be able to uh you know voice an opinion or uh you know be confident about uh, stating my feelings about something, uh, which has helped me throughout. You know the rest of my career, I think.
0: Undercover work. It, I mean, it sounds mysterious. It sounds um, almost like living a double life. Is it like living a double life? Are you one person during the day and then you come home at night and and you're you're, you're back to being um,
2: it's, it, Fabian. It, it, it,
0: it, did you use a different name, by the way, when you were undercover? Do you do you change your name?
2: <laughs> I I changed my name. It is it is a um, it is basically a double life. You're you're uh, you're being somebody, if not completely different, uh, very different from who you are. And um, you know the important thing for me was, uh, you know, I didn't feel that I was a a very convincing liar, basically. Uh, so, you know, you have to really stay, uh, almost true to, or close to who you are so that you can, you know, play this role basically. Uh, so yeah, it was, uh, it was very different. It was, uh, uh, you know, um, I wasn't, uh, allowed to associate with a lot of my friends, uh, you know, that I had made in the academy and stuff. Um, uh, so it was, uh. It was a departure for from what I was used to. You
0: know, most of, if not all, of what the rest of us know about police work and particularly about undercover work is what we see on television. That's where we get it from, right? Or Or books maybe some if there happened to be a book and you read books about it but otherwise it's tv and we have no way of knowing whether what they show us on tv is what really happens or whether that's what the writer decides to throw in there to make the program more interesting for the rest of us we don't know if it's really exciting and it's cops and robbers or whether it's just boring day-to-day going to meet you know and things like that but it does sound like for a 22 year old guy uh, it must have been quite an experience and, and maybe somewhat isolating in the sense of of what you're saying about not being able to associate with your friends, including on weekends, including social time. You had to be very careful because you might get spotted. Is that right?
2: Yeah. You, you have to always be aware of the role, always be aware of where you're at. Um, you know, I had to uh, really be careful when I went home to see my mom and... and uh, you know, my brother and stuff, uh, so uh, it, it makes you very uh, out of necessity be really cautious about uh, your surroundings and, and who you're in interacting with. Um, it, it Like I said, one of the biggest things or, or things that it did for me was it, it kind of brought me out of my um, shy introvert personality. Um, you know, I think I still am to some degree, but uh, not as much as as I was coming right out of the academy, uh, so it, um, uh, it it was boring for you know because you 're basically living a life and you know going through through the motions and then, like you said, meeting with people and interacting with people uh, you know in uh, it 's not the the flashy driving fast cars and you know spending all kinds of money kind of thing that uh, t v and movies uh, make it out to be um, but, you know, it was uh, necessary work and uh, it, it, was, uh, uh, it was different for me. So, I, I, you know, it was, it was good to do it for me at least, uh, you know, for a while. Mm-hmm.
0: You're listening to the voice of Fort Bragg Police Chief Fabian Lizarraga. He's talking about his early experience after college, after training at the police academy, and after being mentored being sent out in his first assignment, Undercover. You're listening to him here on Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. If you want to call in, and I hope you do, and ask Chief Lizaraga some questions, the number here is 707-937-5103. I repeat, 707-937-5103. Zero three. We're going to spend a few more minutes talking about your career, and then we're going to come here to Fort Bragg, which I said we would earlier on in the program. So how long did you do undercover work, and where did you go after that?
2: Uh, I did that for about a year and a half, and then um, after that, I went to another patrol division um, uh, out in West L.A., uh, West Los Angeles. In um, there, I, did a, uh, I worked patrol in a black and white. I also did footbeats. Uh, and um, you know, did that for uh, I think another year or so. Another footbeats, yeah, meaning walking, walking around? around, walking around. So you were getting about, the exercise we were talking getting, yeah. about before. That's a good thing. <laughs> I, it is, and uh, and and that's one of those things where you really learn, you know, how a police officer out of of, uh, of a patrol car can really connect with the community by walking uh, by walking around. Let and me
0: take a break here. We've got a caller coming in. Let's take that, Michael. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Hello. Well, I guess we lost him. Let's come back to walking in patrol car, early days.
2: Yeah, and, and it really gives you uh, an opportunity to interact with people on just a one-on-one basis, just having conversations with them. Uh, you know, uh, We got to know the, uh, the, the restaurant owners, the business people, the store owners, uh, as well as a lot of people from the community, the uh, one of the areas we were patrolling was a very popular tourist uh, uh, site for people to come. It was just uh, adjacent to UCLA. It's called Westwood Village. And so we were able to interact with a lot of people and, and uh, give them really an opportunity to get to know their, uh, their, police, their officers. police
0: officers. That's great. Here comes the caller again. Thank you, Michael. Do we have the person? Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. If you're there, you're on the air. Nope. Not there again. Someone on the other, on the other phone? Okay. Um, folks, if you can hear this, um, and you're listening 7079375103. Someone is trying to get through. It. Possibly we're having some technical problems there. It's uh, ringing again. We're going to give it a try again. Are you there?
1: Yes, I am. Can you hear me?
0: I can hear you. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics.
1: Thank you very much. I'd be very interested in your guest's response to the notion that uh, there's some amount of us versus them that takes place within police circles regarding the public at large, and I'd appreciate his response to that.
0: Thank you. That's a good question.
2: Yeah, it is, and it's um, it, it it was very prevalent, I think, in the uh, in police work. Uh, in the uh, in the 90s and the 80s uh, it was very much um, uh, an us versus them uh, concept or, or way of thinking uh, frankly by uh, by a lot of police officers. Uh, it was um, a thinking of you know nobody can understand what we do uh, you know the, nobody knows uh, you know what we have to deal with uh, and and so you kind of build up the mentality of you know the, nobody really knows us. Uh, and so because they're not taking the time to know us, you know, you know, we're not going to have anything to do with them. Um, and, but that's, I think one of the things that we've been trying to change, uh, for the last, um, uh, probably for the la- at least the last five or 10 years, if not longer, uh, that, you know, it is not something, pol- uh, police work, enforcing the laws, keeping communities safe, uh, is not something we can do alone. You know, it's not something that uh, police officers uh, can be at a location, you know, 24 7. Uh, We need help. We need the community's help. Uh, And so the thinking in in law enforcement has really come around. And you've got a whole new generation of officers that have almost grown up with that uh, uh, philosophy. Uh, And so I think the the us versus them uh, uh, mentality. Uh, uh, has been broken down in a lot of uh, law enforcement agencies or is in the process of, of doing that. Uh, I think in the bigger cities, uh, the bigger departments, uh, it's, it still may be a little prevalent, uh, but in, in, in smaller organizations and in more tight-knit communities like ours here, uh, uh, it, there is a very big bridge of uh, communication and information flow between uh, officers and and community uh, people. Uh, That's one of the things that I have found that is great about being here, because one of the things that I I was looking for was uh, to really get back to the basics of community policing, Uh, interacting with people, getting to know what's important to them, uh, what is it that we can work on together to make things a little bit easier, to make you feel good about, you know, going to the park, letting your kids play out in the street, uh, you know, or going down to the store or whatever, Uh, and so we want to kind of keep that going, uh, and and we have that, I think, here. Uh, We've got a very strong foothold on that, and we just want to keep building on it. We're going to
0: take another call, Chief. Okay. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Hi,
1: thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. And for the opportunity to talk to Chief Lizaraga. Um I have a two-part question. One is, um, I want to know what uh, the police chief's view of the rights of the homeless community are in, in regard to shelter and um, being cared for. And I guess specifically I'm referring to those people who live in their cars and what kind of interactions uh, the police officers have with these people. And um, my second uh, part is, that last year I saw two police officers on bicycles, and I thought that was a novel approach of of having police officers uh, exercising and interacting with the community. So uh, I'll take my answers off the air. Thank you.
0: Thank you.
2: Thank you. Um, As far as the homeless, uh, you know, for... uh, what we try to do is uh, when we interact with them, uh, we make them aware of the resources that are available in our community uh, and in the county, uh, frankly, for uh, for them to avail themselves of social services. Um, we get uh, some complaints uh, from residents and, and community people regarding, uh, you know, uh, homeless people sleeping on a bench, or you know, smoking in a park, and those kinds of things. And those are things that we, uh, you know, will act upon. Uh, we have made a very strong push to keep our parks and our trails uh, family friendly. Uh, so you will often see uh, officers uh, interacting with with people that are you know sleeping in the park, smoking in the park, or smoking out in the trails. Uh, and you know telling either educating them about what the laws are the codes are in in Fort Bragg uh, and if uh, you know we feel that they are not learning from the experience uh, then you know there are some citable things that that we can do uh, as far as uh, uh, sleeping in cars um, you know we there is a uh, municipal code uh, against that as far as uh, sleeping or camping in, in, in your car uh, we do try to uh, make sure that that does not happen. Um, you know, sometimes we need the citizens to give us a call when you know they see something like that because um, uh, we're not going to be able to get to every street or every parking lot to see uh, you know uh, what's going on there. So that's where it really comes in handy when uh, people can call us and, and let us know, and we'll go out and you know, in humanely and in um, uh, as possible, try to get them to, to move on and inform them about. You know what the rules are and uh, try to get them going from whatever the location is and then obviously make sure that they're not just moving from one location to another Uh, we try to stay abreast of um, uh, everybody's uh, you know that's in violation of those those codes that we can get them moving Um, the bikes uh, that you probably saw uh, are a thing that we use constantly for special events Uh, some of our our guys will go out and work on bikes uh, when uh, we have a special problem that we can get to better with a uh, uh, with a bicycle Uh, we also have um, uh, the officers do foot beats uh, every day in the downtown area Uh, they do you know they walk anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes uh, out of their shift uh, to uh, you know, interact with the community, make their presence known, uh, and uh, just make sure that they are visible. Uh, and for the not only for the residents, but for the tourists, for the business owners, uh, for them to be uh, available uh, to them. So, we'll see them out on foot. We'll see them out on uh, on bikes, uh, as well as the, uh, the the patrol cars. And you'll also see a couple of uh, officers on the. Um, uh, we just got electric motorcycles. Uh, that are, you know, emission free. There's no carbon uh, footprint. <laughs> Excuse me, and um, is something that you're, you'll see them. Uh, you'll see them out there.
0: Okay, Michael, we can, we can take another call. Welcome to Mind Body Health. I've got a major uh, echo. Major. Can you hear that? Yes. Welcome. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Good. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Please, let's hear your question.
1: Okay. Uh, the undercover. Uh, topic kind of intrigues me, Um, the police or the military, they're supposed to operate under color of authority so that we know who they are, so they can make demands on us that uh, we wouldn't necessarily appreciate from somebody else. But anyhow, uh, what is the rationale for, or, or the operating instructions, whatever, for the interaction with the general public, and as I understand it, uh, undercover is specifically targeted for, like, organized crime or something like that. So that's one question. The other is uh, there's been gossip or scuttlebutt, whatever, that uh, the police uh, forces throughout the United States, because of more federal support, and training have become more military in the way they operate and i wondered if the captain thought that this was true and that's something he's trying to counter with his uh, making the police uh, better connected with the community so those are my questions okay answer on the air thank
2: Thank you you very much as far as the um uh, the undercover work uh it is Something that you have a, a kind of a specific mission. There's uh, policies and, and procedures and, and protocols and stuff for that are in place uh, to make sure that you are not, uh, you know, basically spying on, on general public or, or people that uh, you know are just going about their business. Uh, you have a specific um, uh, set of individuals or, or groups uh, that uh, you feel are involved in uh, some type of. Criminal activity, or potentially involved in uh, uh, preparing to to do some criminal activity, and that's where your focus is. And uh, you know, you you have to be very careful uh, in your interactions. That you know, uh, yeah, you're going to run across people in the, in the general public, but you are not going to uh, you know really do anything uh, about that interaction, whether it's reporting it, documenting, it, or anything like that. Uh, the focus has to remain on uh, people that are involved in uh, some kind of potential or actual uh, criminal activity. Uh, as far as the uh, militarization of, uh, of police departments, um, I think it's kind of uh, been taken um, almost to the extreme of you know p- uh, the, uh, people uh, reacting to it. Um, You know, certainly the Fort Bragg uh, Police Department is not uh, trying to, you know, gain any military uh, hardware or anything like that. Uh, But there are tools uh, that the military is no longer using uh, that sometimes in a given situation uh, may be appropriate to be used. And one of the things that um, uh, comes to mind uh, is, you know, just, uh, you know, a lot of police departments across the country will have a, uh, like an armament type vehicle. And the first reaction is, you know, why would you need that in a, in a municipal or in a city or a town? Uh, you know, it's not to go out and, you know, attack people or anything like that. It, it Those things are usually used, uh, from my experience, uh, to make ensure the safety of the officers that are being either transported to uh, a, a tactical location uh, or being extricated from a situation where they're at risk uh, either from gunfire or, or something else uh, and there's really no other way to uh, to get them out other than these you know uh, armored vehicles so those are the, the, the times that it really um, uh, comes in handy to have access to to one of those um you know like i said uh, here in um, uh, in fort bragg uh, we're not really looking at that uh we're uh, more interested in some uh, technology. it not doesn't necessarily even uh, well. I don't think any of it comes from the military. It, uh, it's more technology that's that's out there for us to to be able to use. Um, uh, you know, uh, infrared. Uh, you know, binoculars and things like that. Uh, uh, you know, we got a set for that so that when we're looking at the coastal trail at night, that we can see. You know, it's it's pretty dark out there, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we can see. Downrange, a whole, a good distance. Yeah. Uh, whether it's somebody's out there, or whether it's an animal, or or something like that, uh, as opposed to putting my officers at risk by going down uh, all the way down to see that, and then you're kind of, uh, you know, away from help or a long yeah. way from it. So,
0: I I know a lot of you are uh, calling in because the board is lit up, and I want you to kindly be patient. Uh, we have a lot of calls to take and a lot of material to cover. and We may have to bring the chief back another time for all of this, which will be just fine. Uh, I want to point out that uh, the that, that, that Chief Lizaraga is a real guy, a real man, in a real community. He's got four children. He's got two stepchildren. He's got four grandchildren. He's living right in the town of Fort Bragg. He is one of us, and his job is to protect us and to serve us and one of the questions that I want him to address now is what can we do to help him and help his force do their job you said it's important to have community support what kind of things can the community literally do to help you people who
2: want to be good citizens I think a continuation of what's already happened we're really fortunate here in uh, in Fort Bragg that we have citizens and residents um, who are not shy about expressing uh, their support for us, uh, you know, given the events uh, across the country in the last, uh, you know, three or four weeks, uh, people have made it a point to come to the police station uh, and express their support for us, whether it's uh, uh, a card, uh, flowers, uh, you know, uh, baked goods, um, by the way, police officers love baked goods. Uh <laughs> And, you know, we we even had a little guy uh, come and give us uh, two gift bags of just the toys uh, and and things that he thought that we would enjoy and and we have, Uh, you know, just to say thank you. uh, Thank you for what you do. Uh, I think just a continuation of that, letting the officers know when, you know, they're out on uh, radio calls or, or, you know, calls for service and things like that. Uh, You know, thank you for your service. Those things go, go a long way uh to you know making an officer's day a lot of times they'll go through you know a whole shift and you know uh, help countless people but sometimes we don't get that little thank you at the end not that we need it i mean we don't you know we didn't do this for, uh, for that but when it comes it's really uh, special to them you're and, real people you know, and
0: real people appreciate a little pat on the back once in a while exactly and so one of the things you're saying the community can do is to just a simple thank you yeah. it increases morale it increases spirit Gives the gives your officers a sense that they're included in the community, exactly right, not seen as one of those guys out there. Okay, let's take another call, Michael. I see that the phone is lit up there. Welcome to Mind Body Health and Politics. You're on the air.
1: Good morning. Great show. Um, Chief Lizaraga has a beautiful smile. He has one of the most beautiful smiles I've ever seen.
0: It'll warm you from the top of your head to the tipsy toes. Thank you. What a beautiful yes. thing. That's a beautiful thing to bring to everybody's attention. I'm sitting in front of the chief right <laughs> now and I can attest to the fact that that's absolutely accurate and what a wonderful thing to bring to our town. What a way to decrease fear of the police by having a police chief that has a big warm smile. Yes, thank, thank you, you very for much for that. Thank indeed, you. indeed. So We hear on TV that if you see something suspicious, whatever that means to a regular person like me, myself, you see something suspicious, particularly when people are leaving bags with explosives and things around, like if you go to an airport and you see something suspicious. In a small town, What other kinds of things that we might notice as citizens that we would consider suspicious enough to call you without bothering you? You don't want a hundred calls because somebody left a stick on the sidewalk, right?
2: But are there things that we might do in that regard in this day and age? Yeah, definitely. Um, We all live in our neighborhoods. We all live in, you know, uh, we have an idea of who our neighbors are, and some of us are very good about socializing with everybody on our block. Uh, one of the uh, the best things you can do is you know not only get to know your neighbors but get to know what do your neighbors drive you know and you're not doing it out of uh, you know a sense of uh, being nosy or spying but you have a sense of you you have to know what's coming into your neighborhood what's what's not what is belongs or what doesn't uh, you know so when you have somebody that um, either in in a car or uh, just walking down the street and is not acting quite you know what would be in your mind normal uh, you know that's the time that you kind of say hmm and and just kind of you know don't be afraid to to give us a call and let us know what's happening uh you know we'll we'll respond and 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 see if we can catch up to them and and, and then see w- what is it that, that you're doing. If you're just walking through that particular block because you want to get to the next one or get to a particular location, that's fine. Great, no problem. Uh, but if you don't have any real purpose or real sense of, of why you're there, uh, then it might give us a, a thing of, maybe we should talk to you a little bit more. And you
0: mentioned the vehicle. What kind of thing might people look for? Like you said, something about looking for the car, a new car in the neighborhood. What, yeah, is there something about a car that we might learn about that gives us a feeling? Or
2: you know, cars with uh, with with no plates, or cars with uh, expired registration, cars with uh, uh, you know that look uh, you know that get left in a, a neighborhood and have, don't get moved for days and days. Those are some of the things that you know should prompt us to say maybe we should call the uh the pd and have them take a look at the situation and see what they think about it we have absolutely no problem with that one of the great things we can do it starts out tonight is national night out uh from uh, four to seven there are four locations throughout the city uh, that you can come and meet your neighbors. Uh, we will be there at, at the different locations tonight. Tonight it uh, starts at four and uh, goes, to, I believe, until seven.
0: Okay, um, you all hear that from
2: four until seven until today. Four to seven, and real quickly, the the locations. Some of the locations are at the police department, at Bainbridge Park, the 500 block of Cory, and I believe the um, 300 block of North Harrison. Uh, all locations there are. Uh, we're going to have people there barbecuing hot dogs. Uh, We'll give out uh, some information on crime fighting. Uh, We'll also be talking about our new cadet program that we're trying to start up. Uh, So uh, if you want to be community involved, uh, tonight is the uh, the time to get started.
0: Oh, that sounds terrific. Michael, can we take another call? I think we have time. Can you get over there? Just uh, bear with us here. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air
1: richard uh, thank you for taking the call and thank you chief for being in the studio norman Duvall here chair of costa court appointed supportive advocates and on uh, august sixteenth the board of supervisors is going to be hearing the policy statement on marijuana and youth and uh... would like uh, i'd like to start by asking the question uh, if one provide uh, marijuana to uh, one under the age of, of 21 or under the age of 18, is that a misdemeanor? A felony? Uh, the, the misguidance of a child? Uh, or child endangerment? Your opinion, please.
2: Thank you, Norman. Uh, yeah, you, you probably hit uh, all three or four uh, sections there that you would be in violation. It would be a misdemeanor to simply just provide uh, to uh, to someone under 18, uh, child endangerment becomes a, a stickier situation for you because uh, you're basically uh, putting the child uh, at risk. Uh, so that can be uh, sometimes bumped up to a, uh, bumped up to a felony. If you're giving the child the, the marijuana for uh, uh, for distribution, that's also uh, kicks it up uh, uh, beyond the uh, a misdemeanor into a felony. So uh, it, it's really uh, situations that you probably uh, don't want to, uh, to be involved in at this time, with the, uh, even in, in nowadays with marijuana and uh, kids underage.
0: And I want to add to that, that we're getting reports from Colorado about admissions to emergency rooms of children, particularly teenagers who are involved with eating uh, edibles that parents have uh, left around the house. And so I want to really put this out as a warning to our local community that edibles edibles are something you have to be very careful with. Remember that the uh, THC content in the edibles varies a great deal. A child does not know what they're eating. For all they know, they they could think they're eating just a gummy bear. They may not even be trying to get into your marijuana. And this can be potentially dangerous. It's not fatal, but it's potentially dangerous. And we really wanna get everybody in the community to cooperate on that. So let's put it out as a warning. Let's really get everybody talking about it, that if you've got edibles in the house and they're legal and you're allowed to have them, make certain that the kids can't get to them just the same as you would with a firearm these are these are things that you want to use for adults and adults only Uh, looks like we're uh, running out of time huh Michael I want you to just please tell us one more time before we finish up about the four locations for tonight because that sounds like a really uh, interesting, important thing for the community to get out there together, meet some of the, your police officers, and also
2: meet your neighbor. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to have uh, four locations for National Night Out. It's a uh, 500 block of North Corey Street, the 300 block of North Harrison Street, which is right there at Bainbridge Park, uh, the police department at 250 Cypress Street, and also, I don't think I mentioned this before. It's a uh, 208 Dana Street at Safe Passage. They will also have uh, events there, uh, and the officers will be uh, uh, going around to all four locations. Uh, I'll be making my way to, to uh, all four <laughs> locations as well. Uh, so, if you didn't get a chance to ask your question on the air, uh, catch up with me there, and uh, uh, we'll talk.
0: Oh, that's a great invitation. Catch up with the chief and ask him the questions then. Chief Lizarraga, thank you very much for being with us today on Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, and let's get you back on again in the future, and we'll keep up uh, sharing your information with the community and keeping the bond between the police force and the community strong and supportive.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: And thank you all for listening to today's broadcast of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, which is made possible by our KZYX staff and our in-studio engineer, my dear friend, Mike DeLora. Please, join me again in exactly two weeks at 9 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Until then, this is Dr. Richard Miller reminding you that good health is worth fighting for, and it's essential for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.